A trailblazing leader, Megan Ross, PhD, serves as president and CEO of Chicago iconic Lincoln Park Zoo. As the first woman and first scientist to lead the Global Urban Zoo and Science Center, Ross drives the zoo missions and visions of being open, accessible, and welcoming for guests from all around the globe. Dr. Ross has had an extensive career of learning about and caring for animals that has taken her across the world, from China to Atlanta to right here in Chicago. She joined Lincoln Park Zoo in 2000 as the Hope B. McCormick Curator of Birds, and over the next 20 years, she, serves at, she served as the Zoo General Curator, Vice President of Animal Care and Education, Executive Vice President, and Zoo Director. Appointed as CEO in 2022, she centers her work on four pillars, care, conservation, community, and culture. These values are the zoo's platform for engaging with people in, of Chicago around broader issues of animal welfare, coexistence with nature in an urbanizing world, and environmental issues like climate change, habitat loss, and conservation of diverse and healthy ecosystems both at the zoo and around the world. A passionate published scientist and committed environmentalist, she incorporates her broader perspective into improving animal welfare and helping zoo visitors connect with nature. For instance, she launched Zoo Monitor in 2016, an animal behavior monitoring app that gives insight into the needs and best possible care for animals. Today, the app has been downloaded by more than 700 institutions across more than 50 countries. Dr. Ross is also widely regarded as an expert on zoo ethics, as the former chair of the Ethics Board of the Associations of Zoo and Aquariums and newly appointed AZA board member. Locally, she is also a member of Leadership Greater Chicago inaugural Denier Berman Fellowship Cohort, the Chicago Network and Economic Club of Chicago. A self-proclaimed science nerd, Dr. Ross has a master's degree and a PhD in psychology and lives in the Chicago area with her husband and two children. Welcome, Megan, to the podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Unbossed Podcast. Uh, I am Marina, your host, and today my special guest is Dr. Megan Ross. She is president and CEO at Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Welcome, Megan. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, Marina. It's so ha I'm so happy to have you over. Um, we were just talking about different generations and uh, <laughs> just randomly talking about di different generations and how different uh, we've been growing up. And I am so excited to see a woman at this point leading a major 
institution like the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Congratulations. That is an amazing accomplishment and amazing representation for our other women that may see you in this position. How do you feel in, you know, about maybe the accolades that have come recently with the job? Um, you know, it's really lovely to get all of those accolades. I also am pretty excited about being a scientist uh, leading the organization because we've never had a scientist before me as well. So I'm only the eighth head of the Lincoln Park Zoo in the 140, 153 years that we've been around. And so, you know, from my perspective, it's been, you know, a long time coming that we need to have women leadership and also scientist leadership. And you have been at Lincoln Park for over 20 years. I'm sorry to date you, but it's relevant because you've probably seen, I don't know how many, but you'll tell me, a, n- a number of presidents and CEO go through Lincoln Park. And have you ever seen yourself in that chair? You know, like, what was the perspective? Yeah, so that's the thing that's pretty unique about Lincoln Park Zoo is that we haven't had a lot of different CEOs and presidents CEOs. and CEOs. Um, the president and CEO who preceded me, he had been at the zoo for more than 47 years. And before wow. him was another um, director of the zoo who was here over 46 years. And so it seems like when you come to Lincoln Park Zoo, you kind of come and then you stay. But I have seen a lot of transitions in what's been happening at the zoo over my 22 years here. <laughs> so that's been pretty fun to watch the progression and the evolution of how the zoo has been moving forward. Yeah. That's really cool. We'll get into like all of the work that you're doing with the zoo in a second. Uh, But before we get there, uh, and this is the Chicago siren. Hold on, everybody. All right, here we go. Uh, Before we get there, Megan, would you tell us a story about you growing up? Uh, What was little Megan like? Little Megan grew up in Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta uh, until I came to Chicago, actually. Um, but I was really that kid that just wanted to be outside all the time. My mom would say, make sure you get home for dinner. I would play with the neighbor kids. I would go and kind of investigate what was happening. We had a little pond that was near our um, street, and I would go down and like look in the pond. So I was just this kid that loved being outside, loved being in nature, loved exploring things. That's who... I was, and I always loved animals. Animals was yeah. always a part of my life. I always wanted to have more yeah. pets or go outside yeah. and watch birds and other things, but I never really thought about animals as kind of a place where I would end up. I just thought animals mm-hmm. are fun. I love animals. I feel a big affinity for being with them. I, I just feel happier around them. And so that was just who I was as a kid, just this like outdoorsy kid that was climbing trees and falling out of them, skin knees all the time. That's who I was. <laughs> I have a small confession to make. Uh, I grew up watching, um, uh, uh, oh my God. Now I'm blanking the, the 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 princess that goes into woods and have all of the birds and like one of them was like Cinderella. All of the desert princesses mm-hmm. had some type of animals around them and they talked to animals and they sang with animals. And I was one yeah. of those little girls that would like go outside and pretend I was one of those little princesses and like talk to animals and pretend I was singing to animals. And I thought I had or sometimes a real connection, you know, with it. And so I feel you when you say like. Um, when you say that you had an affinity to animals, 
Were you also influenced somewhat by this Disney pictures? Did you grow up with those or was that of something like not a Of course. I loved yeah. all the Disney movies. I mean, the Jungle <laughs> Book was super fun and Cinderella having yeah. the mice that she talked to and the yeah. birds that she would sing with. Yeah, I, w- I loved those types of things. I wasn't really a princessy kid. I wanted to be Good, Wonder yeah. Woman. Like I had Wonder Woman costumes. That's what I was really into was Wonder Woman. But I love um, you know, the idea of being with animals or talking to animals, that always just seemed like such a cool thing that Disney provided for for kids to be like, oh, I, one day you can talk to animals. <laughs> so, yeah, that definitely influenced who and I now, was. Yeah, I know you're, you're an animal whisperer, but, um, <laughs> well, you know, you're, they're from the zoo, so uh, not the same, sorry. Uh, but, yeah, uh, what... Um, at what point did you realize that a career in um, caring for animals, because I'm just going to generalize and say like generally like working with animals was something that you were actually, was actually feasible, right? Because it, it may not be natural, like like maybe did you started try, trying to be a vet and then move towards something else or how did that happen? Yeah, I was a kid who hated going to get to the doctor's office. Like I hated shots and all of those things. And so when I would talk to people about how much I loved animals and it was pouring out of every pore of my body, I think how much I loved animals. When I would see a dog, I would always want to go up and hug it and pet it. And so people always said to me, Oh, do you want to become a vet? And I thought, Ooh, giving animals shots sounds terrible. (laughs) Why would I want to do that? That sounds like a terrible job, but I still knew I loved animals. So it wasn't until I was in college that I even understood the idea that you could watch animals, study their behavior. And that was a job. I just remember there was a brown bag lunch that one of the professors had offered at my university. And she went up and was talking about how she studied animal behavior. And she was in the psychology department. And I think my mouth just hung open the whole time she talked because I was thinking, in my spare time, I like to hang out with animals. I like to be outside. I like to watch birds. I like to be with, um, you know, my dogs and whatever. Um, and I just sat there and thought, somebody pays someone to watch animals. That's like a job for real. And really that one moment kind of changed the course of my life where I was Thinking that I might, when I went to college, I thought I might go into physical therapy. Like I said, I skinned my knees a lot. I, you know, played a lot of sports, so I always injured myself. And I thought, well, at least physical therapy is something that I know. And then when I heard this whole different angle, I was like, I got to change my entire course of where I'm going of trajectory. And I'm going to go all in animal behavior. So that was really the moment when I realized that was a job. Yeah. Thinking back on that moment, like the importance of just that encounter, and it it may not be even like super personal, but definitely like drove you towards animal caring. Um, You know, I I wonder like how, like, how do we think about this moment and expanding even views of other little girls and little boys that do not know that we can, uh, uh, you know, there are careers in a research with animals observing animals there's not only like the vet route or you know the you know walking dog route which is you know the most popular like conversations that we talk about when we talk about caring for animals 
What do you think about like some of the incentives that we can, you know, put out there for those kids? Well, I think one of the things that really isn't out there that much is how diverse the workforce is. I mean, we have people who study hormones um, and they extract it through poop. We have, you know, people who are studying hormones. We have people that are studying cognitive, like how do brains work for animals. And there's so many different ways that you can study animals. And it's not just animals, but like math and science, STEM, it's really a big area that I feel like people don't understand the diversity of, of studies that you can have and go into those. And even just totally. beyond that, I think for me, that moment, that was a moment yeah. where I stepped out of my comfort zone. So I saw that there was a lecture that was happening and it was a brown bag lunch. And I asked all of my friends if anybody wanted to go with me and no one could for whatever reason. And I remember oh, thinking, I'm interested enough that I'm going to go by myself, which I was, I usually hung out with my friends. So I usually did things that my friends were doing, but it was one of those moments that I said, I want to do this for me. And I went and, you know, I'm so glad that I did because I never would have known about it had I not said, this seems interesting. I should go. Even if my friends don't want to go with me, I should step out and go. And so when people are talking to me about, I'm interested in this, or I'm interested in that, or my daughter's interested in this, I usually say, like, you should ask questions. Is that something that you can make a career out of? Or if you get an opportunity to see something that sounds like something you're interested in, say yes. Go to that thing that you might yeah. not normally go to. You don't have to wait for your friends to go with you. Like, go and explore. See if it's something that might be for you. Because you never know. It could be that moment where you think, wow, my life, this is a moment for me and I'm changing the direction of my life. And for me, that was that moment where I thought, this is a big direction change for me. I love that. Thank you for that. That's that's really cool. I hope, you know, like you, we all find that, um, and at my, my career hasn't been that. My career has been more like all over the place, dancing here, there, within like a theme of some sort but definitely like not as linear as one may think and I look at people do, that do have this linear more decisive career choices that you know just like it's like you know exactly what is that you want to do in life and I I do believe that both can coexist where I am now made peace with the fact that you know I I am a trier and a new and a doer and I thrive on like trying new things all the time and and exploring options and breaking the mold or, or breaking things in general versus um, having a linear career path, say like a lawyer, in which you know you know you're going to be an associate, and you're going to put junior associate and move on to, into senior and partner. Um, nothing wrong with either of those. Just like recognize who you are and definitely like act, you know, take action toward those things that drive you with passion, right? Yeah. I will say, I mean, it sounds like it's very linear. Like I went to that lecture and then everything else happened for me, but that's not the case. <laughs> I went to that lecture. I thought I want to study animal behavior. And then I graduated and was like, well, I know they, some people have this job, but how do you get that job? So I went and worked for a software company for a little while because I didn't know how to get that job. And then I just kept asking questions of like everyone I could meet, like, what opportunities are out there? Who can, how can yeah. I do, still do things with animals, even though I work in the software company that has nothing yeah. to do with animals. And, uh, and then I what found out what zoos are like. 
I was doing, I was an executive assistant for a software company that did um, okay. t- uh, like cutting edge technology for cellular phones. They were doing voice activated software for cellular phones in the 90s. Yeah. So all pre, yeah. all the products that we have now, it was yeah. something that they were doing back in the 90s. So it was a really great job, but it had nothing to do with animals. <laughs> <laughs> right. So thank you for sharing that. And so, so how did you finally were able to break through the animal in the animal caring industry? How does that happen? Well, I was very fortunate. I met the director of Zoo Atlanta um, through a mutual friend of mine. And he had talked to me about what zoos are. I didn't even know that zoos are big conservation organizations or that people are doing research and watching animals and trying to figure out how we can best care for animals, both in zoos and also in the wild. And so that conversation was another pivotal moment for me where I thought, okay, I should go, I should get an advanced degree, I should really, this is what I want to do. And I should really look into zoos and see if they're what I want to be working, where I want to be working. And so I went to a PhD program. I um, had a lot of amazing opportunities in that program, which was a partnership with Zoo Atlanta and Georgia Tech, which is a university in Atlanta. And yes. uh, I, well, no. I went, yeah, so I went and did amazing things. Like I helped teach a field class in Kenya. I lived in um, China for several months studying giant pandas, but I always wanted to work on and study birds. And so um, throughout my PhD program, I was studying birds at the zoo. And then I got an opportunity to come to Lincoln Park Zoo and become their curator of birds. And I have to say that is continues to be kind of my dream job, the bird curator. When I got that job, I was like, well, this is it. I have, I have reached the pinnacle of my career. I have always wanted to be a bird curator. I love birds. If I could just study birds and work with people that care for birds, this is where I want to be. And, uh, and that's how I started here at Lincoln Park Zoo. So when you asked earlier if I always wanted to be president and CEO, the answer is no. I always wanted to be the bird curator because <laughs> it was a really amazing job. And it still is an yeah. amazing job. But it's only through being here that I saw some different opportunities for me that I, again, mm. had an opportunity and would say yes to it. I think it's important yeah. to say why not instead of why? Because when you ask why, you can always come up with reasons why not. But why not? when you say why not, it's hard to say why not. You know, <laughs> I'm just as good as someone else. I can I can try these opportunities. I can bring my own spin to it. And yeah. so that's kind of how the rest of that has gone for me. That is so cool. You skipped over all these cool animals and these cool experiences that you had. So I just want you to give me a little bit of a flavor of what is a giant panda and how was that experience? And uh, so a little bit also about Kenya perhaps, and what did you do there as well? Um, Okay. So uh, a giant panda, you know, they're the black and white bear like um, species and I had an opportunity, one of my fellow PhD students was studying giant pandas and she needed to come back to the U.S. And so she asked if I would go over and help continue her studies that were happening in um, China. And so I worked at um, the giant panda uh, breeding facility in Chengdu. And then I also worked at Chengdu Zoo. And 
observe giant pandas and I was specifically watching mothers with cubs and then I was also watching kind of year old cubs and how they interacted with each other so it was a it wasn't my study I was helping one of my colleagues but it was a really amazing opportunity to study animal behavior in a different part of the world um, to watch giant pandas to really try to understand what was happening with how mothers care for their cubs and how that might relate to cub development and um, I I was so lucky I would say to be able to have that opportunity and it was similar for the um, field course in Kenya and South Africa there was a field course that was being offered by Georgia Tech and the PhD students were able to help the teacher assist, teaching assistants for that class. And so we would bring undergraduate students to um, Kenya and for a brief period of time into South Africa. And we were talking about how do you study animal behavior? What are the techniques you would use? What do you use in the field versus what you would use if you were, say, at a zoo where you kind of know what animals are going to be there and where they're going to be spending time. When you go to the field, you kind of have to happen upon things. And so we spent a couple of weeks there working with students to kind of teach them the skills on how to study animal behavior. And for me, it was, you know, life-changing again to be able to be in Kenya. I think it's just a beautiful part. East Africa, I think it's just a beautiful part of the world. And um, the biodiversity is so amazing. And, uh, you know, I know I love birds. And so the bird diversity was just, it would take my breath away every single day when I would go out on safari and watch the animals. And mammals are fun, but they sleep a lot. <laughs> and birds are always doing things. <laughs> so I was always like, all right, sleeping mammals, let's go look at the birds. <laughs> let's go to where the action is. <laughs> Oh my God, I love that perspective. That is so cool. I I definitely hear your love and passion for birds. That is really fun. Um, While you were doing all of this and you were getting a PhD in practicality, like, were you still working at the software company? How did you like survive? Like, you know, like, I don't know, like, did you have a side side job? What did you do for so in the summers, I typically worked, you know, a couple of different part-time jobs to get some extra income. Um, when I was, a, I was a full-time graduate student, so I did leave my full-time job at the software company before I went into grad school. But when I was in grad school, they have opportunities, especially for PhD students, to be a research associate or um, a teaching associate where you get paid a, a small stipend to be able to either do research or to teach. And so I was really fortunate to be able to have those stipends. It was not um, a huge amount of money. And I definitely took advantage of every other opportunity I could. Like I still babysat. I did a lot of things that I could do that weren't um, full-time jobs because I really needed to focus in on my research. But it was, um, I was, again, you know, very fortunate to be in a program that had a lot of funding that allowed for us to be research associates um, or teaching assistants because that provided a stipend just for being able to be into the program. Yeah, that feels like the hard part of, you know, like higher education if, 
um, you don't know how you're going to manage like a job and studying and trying to, you know, survive and living a life and study and research, right? It feels really long and a long time without in- much income. Was yeah. that a, a concern for you at all? Like, gr- like when you were young thinking, well, you know, and, and I hear it from you, like you're so passionate about this that maybe it didn't really matter. And that was not a concern. This is a, this is exactly, you were doing exactly what you wanted to do. Um, you know, it was always a concern. I was taking advantage of a lot of things that I had um, available to me and that my parents lived in Atlanta so I could live at my parents' house and they didn't charge me rent, which was helpful. <laughs> nice. And I yeah. usually ate with them. So, you know, there were a lot of things that um, not everyone is able to have. Um, yeah. And uh, because I'd worked at the software company before I went to graduate school, I had really, and yeah. I still lived at my parents' house when I was at, working at the software company when I first graduated. So I spent a lot of time saving what I um, had made. So I definitely dipped into my savings as I continued to go through my PhD program. I will say I also was singularly focused on how can I get out of here as quickly as possible because (laughs) I am not making enough money to like, I can't have my savings account go into the negative. So I started my PhD program and then I finished it relatively quickly. I I didn't even, um, I hadn't finished my PhD program when I came to Lincoln Park Zoo. That was another thing that was really attractive to me when I was uh, offered the position of bird curator is I could come up here and get a salary again. And then I could finish my PhD research here at the zoo. So that gave me an actual like real job salary, not a stipend, which is very, again, very modest income each month that you would get. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why I'm poking into this topic is because to me, uh, being a brown, uh, brown woman, um, you know, like did not have much backing and support from my parents for any of my college education. I've always liked to understand like how are people doing the things, how we can make these things more accessible for folks that may not have the same means as others in order to continue to grow uh, the amount of equity and diversity that people bring into this type of roles. Like I do not know how diverse your PhD class was, but um, uh, in Kenya, I'm sure it was very diverse. But um, I would say like, uh, I think definitely like the STEM fields are ones that have been lacking that diversity. And I think part of that is probably because of um, the seemingly, it could be seemingly um, lack of uh, equity and accessibility that some folks like me that don't know how to do this. Um, yeah. Like, how would you go about doing this? Right. That's the mystery. How, like, how, how would I survive being a PhD student? I don't know. Uh, so thank yeah. you so much for sharing that. What do you notice? Like some of what I'm talking about? I do, for sure. And, you know, I think some of the challenges in the STEM field is there's not a lot of representation. And sometimes people want to see someone that looks like them to feel that that is a possible, plausible career path. Um, And, you know, I think for me as a woman in STEM, I think that, um, you know, there's not a lot of women in the STEM field. I'm lucky in that animal behavior tends to have a lot of women. In fact, here at Lincoln Park Zoo, 
our zoo is more than 70% women on staff. And so, um, but leadership in zoos and aquariums is still very much predominantly male. And so I think we are starting to see a little bit more um, and roads happening on that front. But I, I do understand what you're talking about with, you know, how do you do a PhD? And I didn't know how you did a PhD either when I got into that um, path. Like I'd, I'd never heard of research assistants or teaching assistants. I know um, we did have a lot of individuals who didn't live at their parents' house and they, you know, lived on their stipends. And I know that was a little bit more challenging to not have the ability to live at your own house. But there are a lot of in the research field, there are a lot of programs that do have funding that are able to provide kind of some per diem, some um, some cost of living stipends to be able to help individuals be able to get through those programs and make mm. sure that they can Thanks. still feel like they're not losing Covered. a lot yeah. of ground. Yeah. 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 Thank because, you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. No one wants to feel like they're going into a lot of debt to do a field yeah. that they are passionate about. And I know that that's not always possible to not have those things happen, but I, I understand why that would be a challenge for sure. Oh, thank, thank you so much. Yeah, totally. And in, in service of opening eyes, right. That I wanted to continue to tell your story. Um, how does one learn to become CEO and president of a zoo? Is there training? <laughs> is there like, is there like a school of CEO and presidents of zoos that you have that you can? Oh, I'm joking, but yeah. How did how did you learn throughout your years, probably at, at the zoo, to do that? Yeah. Well, you're not that far off, actually. Um, There's not a school, but the zoo and aquarium field, um, I'm a member of the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and Lincoln Park Zoo is an accredited zoo. So that's a group of about 240 zoos across the country that are accredited by this group. But they realized that a lot of the heads of those institutions were going to be retiring And so in 2014, they started a new program called the Executive Leadership Development Program. And it was intentionally put in place to give individuals who might be able to become a zoo director one day the opportunity to kind of explore that and say, here's some places that you could get some experience in and you get a mentor and you also have your leader of your institution. And I had an amazing, um, the previous president and CEO here at Lincoln Park Zoo always was a big advocate for me, which I will say I didn't see myself as being coming a zoo director, but he mm-hmm. really challenged me to think outside of my own bias in my head of what a zoo director Mm -hmm. looks like and how they led and he said you should do this program and I was in the the first year of that program for the Association of Zoos and Aquariums and so I ended up really exploring I spent the whole year being in this program that the zoo helped me get into and they said, you don't know about this area or that area. Here's a way we can get you some experience there. Here's a way you can get some experience there. And I worked with a lot of the colleagues that I have here at the zoo to get those experiences. And they, um, and it, 
the beginning of the year, I got to say, I said, why do I want to be a zoo director? I mean, I really asked myself the questions like, why would I want to do that? That's, I don't know if that's me. And by the whole year, I said, I am going to say yes to every opportunity that comes my way. If they say you should try this thing, you should read this book. I was like, yes, the answer is yes to all of them. And I'm going to really <laughs> do all the things. And by the end of the year, I was like, yeah, I think this is actually something that I want to do. And so nice. um, I was very fortunate to be in that program and um, kind of get, it wasn't a, a kind of traditional school class, but it was a, a yeah. program that really helped me get to the next level. That is an awesome experience. And so within this program, you got to meet other parts because you were focusing on birds, right? And so um, you well, got to meet other, other parts of the zoo. So I was the bird curator and then I became the general curator and then I became the vice president of animal care. And when I was the vice president over all the animals at the zoo is when I started this program. And so yeah. I started the program and then during the course of the year, my, um, my boss uh, at the time said, why don't you also oversee the education team? because there was an opening and he said, how about if you oversee nice. animal care and education, that'll give you a little bit more perspective on what we do here at the zoo. And so I yeah. did that for a little while. And then, um, and then through the program, I not only got to hear about what was happening here, but I had a mentor who worked at a zoo in California and she would ask me questions and talk about how they did things there. And I think for me, the biggest thing that I learned is that you can be, she was a very different leader than my president and CEO who was here, Kevin, was a very different leader than she was. And she talked to me about how she kind of led with her strengths of being a nurturer yeah. and really creating like a family environment for her institution. Right. And, you know, we were a little bit more of like a traditional kind of corporate, you know, a little bit more hierarchical yeah. and structured in that way. And I right. haven't thought about it, but I bring things to the table on how I am yeah. as a person that brings something different and different doesn't mean better or worse. It just means different. And I can still lead from my place of strength, which is the skills that I bring mm -hmm. and the personality that I have. And I, I don't yeah. think I fully appreciated that before. I just thought, oh, I'm a person who studies animals. And I just started to realize some of my strengths <laughs> on how I work with animals and how I work with people really can kind of translate into other areas, yeah. like guest services or security or operations or, you know, yeah. fundraising, all of those things. So Yeah. What, um, did you bring some of the experience? I'm sure you brought some of the experiences that you learned outside of the United States with you in Ch China and Kenya, specifically with you in the zoo. Do you, did you notice any striking differences in terms of like zookeeping or zoo management um, at the time that you brought with you and or some of the things that um, highlight your leadership style that is different versus uh, when you said, sorry, when you said like you double down on your strength and you want to like lead with your own strength, what are some of those leadership styles? And have you brought any of those experience with you into that leadership style? Yeah, I think it's impossible to not bring your experiences to whoever you are because you want to show up at work yeah. and still feel like you're you. So yeah. I'm bringing all of the things, good or for better or for worse, that I have in my background <laughs> every day to the job. This yeah. is who I am. Um, but yeah. one of the things that I think uh, I brought that was a little bit more 
unique is that I'm a scientist. And so as a scientist, I like to ask questions. And then I like to study figuring out what is the answer to that question, like form a hypothesis and then challenge it and see if that's the right reason or the wrong reason. And so um, I really just brought that, I think, is one of the biggest things that I would say. I constantly am saying things like, how can we do better? Don't be complacent. We can always improve. That's kind of a part of who I am as a person. I just yes. every day want to try new things, do different things, say yes to things. And so I really want to figure out how we can not just say yes to things that affect the animals, but how can we say yes and try new things that are going to make it better for people, for animals, for the staff, for the volunteers, for all the different individuals yes. who utilize the zoo. And so for me, that's one of the biggest things that I brought is this like scientific approach to things on how we're doing things at the zoo. Yeah. And very tech savvy approach. We were talking in our prep that um, you're actually part of technologist. (laughs) That's that's my, that's my, that's my, that's my quote. You're part technology is part president CEO of a zoo. Uh, because uh, you use technology to help care for animals, right? And then you 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 share that you have this app that you've built. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? I really like that story. Sure, of course. Um, over the course of my time studying animals, we used to always collect data on where the animals were spending the time, how they were spending their time, and we would use, you know, essentially paper and pencil, and then someone would have to take that information and put it into a computer and then we would run statistics on it and see what was happening with the animals. That's kind of traditional ways of studying animal behavior. And I realized that as a manager or someone who oversees animals, if I had that information at my fingertips every day, I could make kind of more day-to-day decisions on how we do things. And so we created an Mm. app called Zoo Monitor and that app allows us to care for animals in a different way, again, using science. So instead of saying things like, I think this is happening, we really could dig in and figure out using data, is that happening or is that not happening? So a good example of this is that our hippos, we had a pygmy hippo who came in and from all of our observations, we said, I feel like she's not really using the habitat. But since we collect data with her using Zoom Monitor every day, we could even look and see how much time she was spending in one particular part of her habitat. And we said, you know, I wonder why she's only spending her time there. She was new and you could tell that she was just a little bit not exploring spaces. And we didn't know what the, what the reason was it was for that. And so we started to look into how are we caring for her? And because she was spending so much time there, we realized we were feeding her in that space. And so <laughs> she was like, well, I'm going to stay here. Food comes here. And why go somewhere else and explore? And that's not how hippos live in the wild, of course. They explore and look for food. So we put in some little belts that allowed for food to drop into their habitat throughout the day. So she had to explore her habitat to find food that was coming. And she was still getting all of the food that she would normally get. But this was her way of kind of encouraging her to go out and explore. And now even when food is not dropped, you can see she's much more confident. She's much more comfortable. She's exploring her habitat a little bit more. We do it for day-to-day things like that, but we also do it for things like we want to have a new lion habitat. What are the things that lion likes? What are the things that lions avoid? And because we have data that we've put into this app called Zoo Monitor, we can see 
the lions like elevated spaces and they avoid mm. these other types of places. And so we gave them what they like. So in their previous habitat, they used to spend a lot of time in certain areas and you could really see it like on a heat map where it would look red, like they're spending all their time here. But now we have a new habitat that we used data to say, this is what they like. We'll put it everywhere. And you can see they're utilizing the entire space because we're giving nice. them all the things that they like. And we've removed the elements that they don't like. So I love that. That is so cool. I love also the example of uh, letting um, a, uh, a primate, a monkey, I think you mentioned, like letting them pick mm -hmm. their snack. Yeah, so we have a cognitive program where we do touchscreen computers, and we're trying to actively ask the animals, what do they like? If you think about when you go to the store, you're actively making decisions. Do I want asparagus tonight, or do I want broccoli tonight, or do I want a salad? And so the same yeah. sort of thing goes for our animals, is giving them a little bit more choice over what's happening in their day. And so that's a, an area that we're just starting on. So care is something yeah. that's really complicated, because we're trying to understand the welfare of each animal, how they're experiencing the world, and then provide care that improves their welfare. And we know from people and from animals that when you have choices and you get to make your own choices about how you spend your day, you're going to feel happier. And so we do that for our animals. So we're asking them those questions with computer touchscreens and excited about trying to explore that with other animals. How do we ask you those same questions? So that's something that we're going to kind of pursue in the future. I love, that's so cool. I love what you're doing there. Um, speaking of care, um, would you jump into telling us about the four C's that you held um, at the zoo? Sure. So we have kind of four areas that we are looking to grow here at Lincoln Park Zoo. So care, we just talked a lot about using data and science to understand how we can care for those animals in the best way possible. We also have a lot of conservation projects that we do, um, and we work with community partners, and then we also have culture, so the culture of Lincoln Park Zoo. And so for conservation, we're trying to understand what's happening with these animals in the wild. I think we're all aware of the great extinction that is starting to take place, and we're losing a lot of biodiversity. Yeah. And as the caretakers for animals, we feel that it is our responsibility to understand how to best care for not just the animals here at Lincoln Park Zoo, but how do we care mm -hmm. for their counterparts in the wild. So we have field sites where we are studying chimpanzees and gorillas in the Republic of Congo. And we have a lot of sites in Tanzania where we are studying spaces where um, communities are really working with us on how to coexist with lions, for example. How do you coexist mm -hmm. with lions in your backyard and how do you make sure that that <laughs> is a positive experience, even though, you know, lions can be a dangerous predator? Um, and mm -hmm. we are also um, studying things like how are different drivers of bad practices like animal trafficking. You can think about like ivory and mm. other animal parts that are being trafficked illegally around the globe. And how can we make sure that those species are not going to go extinct because of these um, wildlife <laughs> trafficking? So we have really three well, different areas that we're trying to understand conservation and how we can kind of best coexist with animals, be it here in Chicago or also around the globe. Our community yes. efforts are a little bit different. So just to continue on my fees. Um, 
So we work with community partners here in Chicagoland. The mission of Lincoln Park Zoo is to connect people with nature. And it doesn't have to be here at Lincoln Park Zoo. So we're working with community partners in Little Village and North Lawndale to create, to co-create new programs on how we can connect people with nature in their own backyards. Because we know, I know from being a little kid who loved nature (laughs) and being able to connect with it in my own backyard was really instrumental into my career path. And also just how great I felt. I loved being in natural spaces. We know that that's nice for folks. And so we have these programs where we're really just co-creating new opportunities. Um, One of which is that we created, uh, well, we didn't create a lot of partners and some amazing teams created the Douglas 18 miniature golf course in North Lawndale. And it is bird themed because that is one of the best birding sites (laughs) here in Chicagoland. And these teams were able to create a miniature golf course that really talked about how hard it is to be a bird and migrate and all of those (laughs) things and kind of bring it to their own backyard. So we're really excited about the products that miniature golf course is awesome. And if you haven't been there, I encourage you to go, but also (laughs) it's a great way for people to connect with nature. That's just right around their community. And then we also work with the city of Chicago. So we work with, 42 other cities here in North America, also Cape Town in South Africa, a city in Germany where we're studying animals in cities and Mm. trying to figure out how do you live with animals in your city? So we created the Mm -hmm. Urban Wildlife Information Network, which is the largest database studying urban animals and trying to figure out how to create cities of the future that are going to be good for animals and wildlife. And then lastly, our last fee is really culture. Lincoln Park Zoo is a free, privately managed zoo. And our tagline is for wildlife for all. So I know we've talked a lot about wildlife, be it plants and or animals, but really the for all part is core to who we are here at Lincoln Park mm-hmm. Zoo. And so we try to make sure that Lincoln Park Zoo programs looks at all of our diversity, equity, accessibility to all of our programs Mm -hmm. and how can we make sure that everyone knows that Lincoln Park Zoo is for them and how can you see that when you're here? How can you feel that? And how can you feel it Mm -hmm. not just here physically at the zoo, but how do you feel that when you go to our online platforms or Mm -hmm. if you're in a program that we are working on in um, Little Village with Open Center for the Arts? How do you make sure that we are out there and being for all. Because frankly, if we want to make sure that there's a change in the planet and these species and continuing into the future, we need everybody to get on board with that. Everybody, yes. Yeah, and so that's kind of what we're very focused on for the next few years is how do we expand our knowledge of care, our knowledge of how to conserve species in the wild, how we can do things as a community and how our culture can really embrace everyone. Yeah. Well, I mean, on that note, Megan, thank you so much. Like that was a beautiful, like summary of the values that you have been um, leading with at the zoo. Those values that you call them your values. The four cities. Yeah. I call them our four areas of of growth for the oh, next focus. few years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Your four areas of growth. Yes. No, that was amazing and beautiful. And 
I am so thankful to have a free zoo here in Chicago where I can take my kids and they can interact with um, wildlife uh, and um, also bio, the biodiversity that you bring into the zoo. And it's a walking zoo, it's an outdoor zoo in the winter and in the summer all year around. So I am so thankful for the work that y'all are doing here. And it's been my pleasure to have you on the podcast before you go. I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you, just quick outro questions. Okay. What is your favorite part about studying birds? And what is something that people don't know about birds that excite you the most? Uh, Well, I like studying birds because birds are so different from humans. And I know some people study animal behavior because they're interested in how similar they are to humans. And I don't Mm. know, maybe I just find humans to be... I already know a little bit about being a human, (laughs) but birds have things that they do and they can do that we can't do. So birds can see four primary colors of light. We can see three colors Uh of light. If you think about being in grade school, when you used to see the color wheel and there were three different colors, so those green and blue and red are the colors of light that humans can see, but birds can also see a portion of UV. And so some birds look the same, like we think the males and the females look the same. They look different if you're a bird. And I love the idea that there's this whole hidden world that some species have. And so for me, when I study animal behavior, I really want to understand how that individual animal is experiencing the world around them because I Mm. have my own biases on how I see things. But I might not be able to attend to what you need because I'm not seeing it the same way. So I have to kind of get out of my own head and look at exactly what is important to you as an individual. And that's what I love about studying birds. I love that. How many pets do you have at home? (laughs) I currently have two dogs. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old dog. And then I have two guinea pigs that um, are my daughters. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, can you talk, can you talk, can you, do you remember how many animals do you have at the zoo? We have about, I think we have about 700 animals here at the zoo. Wow. And it represents That's... about 200 species. So it's a little bit less than 200. Oh. I think it's a little bit less than 700 individual animals, but that's yeah. ballparkish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. So four at home, 700 at work. Mm-hmm. That's a lovely picture. <laughs> um, what are some your of your go-to tools in order to stay um, successful in your role as president and CEO that maybe other women could take point on using as well? What are some of those maybe things that you follow? Well, I love TED Talks. I feel like I like to start my day listening to something. I love listening to things that have really nothing to do with what my job is, but just make me think. So I like to be in conversations about things that seem new or different or might not seem like they have a direct link to where I am. But I think when you hear new things, that's where new ideas come from. So I love to start my day with a TED Talk. I also really love just asking why. And I think sometimes when I'm in the middle of a conversation, I need to just pause and say in my head, why are we doing it this way? Could we do it different? Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer is we're doing it this way because this is the right way to do it. 
But sometimes it's like, oh, we could probably think differently about how we're doing it. And that might provide a different opportunity. And so I like to ask why a lot. Those are the things. And then lastly, you know, again, my say yes philosophy. I feel like a lot of times women say, Mm. I can't or it doesn't, I'm not sure I can. And I just Mm. think that sometimes there's that whole study, right? Where men who apply for their jobs, they only need to see, I can't remember what it is. It's about 40% of the job description is what men need in order to say that they should apply for a job because they say in their head, I can learn new things on the job. And women don't apply for jobs unless they see 90% or more in the job description that they feel like they're already great at it. And I think sometimes we get, we as women get in our own way of saying yes to new opportunities because we think you need to be an expert in everything. And of course you don't, you can learn new things as you start a new job. So. I love that. And finally, the podcast is called Unbossed. Uh, there's no right answer here, but I was just wondering when you first heard uh, the name of the podcast, what did uh, it spark on you and maybe what excited you about the name? Well, I love the name Unbossed because I feel like bossed, um, I don't know, it's, being unbossed means that you're able to like be yourself. I feel like boss yeah. means that someone's dictating to you how you're doing things. And so I love the idea of being unbossed because, of course, everyone is their own true self. And I feel like that really spoke to me when I heard about the name of your post podcast, that it's really highlighting I love that. that each individual <laughs> is their own person and there's not some boss of them. That is so great. That's the one of the best ones that I've heard thus far. Thank you so much, Megan, for coming on. It's been a lovely time. I hope you come back soon and best of luck with your role uh, at Lincoln Park Zoo. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to spend time with you. Have a great day. You too. There you have it. I hope you like this episode and please don't forget to share, like, comment on the podcast link. Tell all your nachos and friends and family about it. Submit a recommendation for guests at Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Donate by clicking on the anchor link and help me continue to make great episodes. You can find all this information on www.unbossed.io. See you next time. Oh, that was good.